0: Good morning. Today's reading is Acts 6, verses 8 through 15. We can find that in our pew Bibles on page 914. Stephen is seized, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, And of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. God, I'd like to thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your Word, the Bible. Thank you for saving us and, and giving us mercy, Lord. I'd, I'd like to thank you for uh, the great world you created for us, this great country that we live in, the state of Texas, and and thank you for the the town of Fredericksburg that we were blessed to live in. Lord, I, I want to ask you that you give. Our pastor, the wisdom and the spirit for him to speak to us today and, and, and reveal to us your words. Amen.
1: Acts chapter 6, 8 through 15 is our study for this morning. As Tom has just read, thank you for doing that for us, Tom. J.C. Ryle is quoted as saying this. No Christian is in a healthy state of mind who is not prepared for trouble and persecution. No Christian is in a healthy state of mind who is not prepared for trouble and persecution. Close quote. As Christians, our entire belief, uh, from day one, if you will, the coming of Jesus Christ, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the persecution and death of Jesus Christ... Has been opposed. It's, it's it's always been opposed. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ has always had opposition. Uh, we, we've seen that opposition in our study of Acts. It's been growing, uh, and it's not as if it's it, if it, it, it that it ends at the end of the book of Acts. It carries on. It has carried on throughout the history of the church. It will carry on until Christ returns. For those who are in Christ Jesus for those who are living for Christ Jesus there will be opposition and persecution we don't see it in the physical realm in the United States of America that many of our brothers and sisters see around the world right now but it's here uh, we don't see it they don't see it in, in, in ways that we we have it but the, the the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been opposed 502 years ago, Uh, you may remember a couple years ago, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And Martin Luther and his nailing of his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg in Germany. And he was opposed. Four years later, in 1521, he was called by the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V to recant his writings. The Pope in 1521 had excommunicated him from the Catholic Church and called him to appear before this emperor and recant. And he goes before the Diet of Worms. And I always remember growing up thinking, that is a poor diet. No, but it was a Council of Worms, V e r. M-E-S is the way you would actually say it. It's spelled W-O-R-M-S. But he was called to this this council, this tribunal, this time where these men of great power that could take his life called him to recant his teaching. And as I studied our passage in Acts chapter 6 this morning, you see what Luther goes through in 1521 is not much different than what Stephen goes through here is not much different than what a Chinese pastor may be going through this morning or a pastor in Cuba. This is what Luther had to say when called to recant his teachings. He said, quote, If then I am not convinced by testimonies of Scripture or by clear rational arguments, For I do not believe in the Pope or in councils alone, since it has been established that they have often erred and contradicted each other. I am bound by the Bible text that I have quoted. And as long as my conscience is captive to the word of God, I cannot, nor do I, want to retract anything when things become doubtful. Salvation will be threatened if you go against your conscience. May God help me. Amen. Close quote. Stephen's doing the same thing here this morning. He's standing before those who could take his very life. He's standing before those who will take his very life. And in his conscience, in his mind, he is convinced of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the way it's been through the history of the church. That those who are so convinced that they have been saved from sin that determines that they would spend the eternity in hell, and now by the grace of God through Christ has given them eternal life, they're willing to say it's not death to die. Now we have in our passage just a few verses, and this is the prelude, if you will, to the entire chapter, that is chapter 7. And we'll take that up in coming weeks. But there's a lot here for us. And so my first point is verses 8 through 10. And I've entitled it, A Man of Faith. Notice, Stephen full of grace and power. Now we also know that Stephen was a deacon. We, we looked at that last week. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. Just a few verses up. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And notice what the qualific- two qualifications by Peter's declaration here. Or we assume Peter's. The, the apostles declaration. Good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. That wisdom, that spirit that has filled him is that which is full of grace and power. And here we see something that we've not seen yet. And that is for the first time, someone who is not an apostle is doing these great wonders and signs. Stephen's a deacon. Stephen is a deacon is a minister of mercy, if you will. That's what we oftentimes call them. He is one that is concerned with the physical and logistical needs of the church, and yet there is no doubt that his primary concern is the ministry of the word of God. Is there? I mean, you've got to put Stephen in, in the top five of, of of at least sermons here. I mean, he preaches. He preaches like few others do and have in, in, in our in our study of acts but but his trouble with these that will eventually put him to death is because of his preaching and yet he's giving himself to also the ministry of mercy you have something bigger taking place in acts 6 8 through 15 and that is we're beginning to see the gospel go out We've seen the gospel being taken to the Jews through Peter and the apostles. And we're going to see in coming weeks the gospel being taken to the Gentiles through the apostle Paul who's currently Saul. And we have a bridge between the two of these men and their two ministries and that is Stephen. You you start to see this gospel getting out past just the Hebrew people. Matthew 11, verse 11. Matthew 11, verse 11. You might just jot it down. I'll read it for you. No need to go there. But Christ, Christ says this. Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He's speaking of John the Baptist. Yet, Christ says, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There's this idea that though that 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 John the Baptist, born among women, in Christ's testimony here, there's no one greater. But there's this foreshadowing that those in the church, that those in the gospel of Jesus Christ, would would have greater faith, would do greater things. They're just men. They're just women. I, I I'm tempted to take Stephen as this role model. I'm tempted to take Stephen and set him up on a pedestal for you and say, look at Stephen. And we should look at Stephen. He's a great example. But Stephen's just a man. But he's a Christian man. He's a man that has been saved by Christ. He's a man that's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And and that's that's what has shifted the entire narrative of here. You know, who cares for other people? I'm caring about number one most of the time. Ask my family. Right, But those times when you're caring about others, that's not of you. For the Christian, that, that's Christ in you, working in and through you. This is, this is the, the wonder of the church that we see in chapter 6 here, is this idea that the, the, the way that we interact with one another has been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are now caring for one another. Those who are of, of different backgrounds, those who are of different nationalities, are are not seen as somebody that's in opposition to them or as different, but as an opportunity to extend the gospel by mean by ways and means of caring for them physically. The preaching of the word is primary, but it's not restricted to one small niche group. And it's dramatically changing the culture, brothers and sisters. One. Uh, The the one least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That's you and me. The work of mercy, the ministry of the word, it's not restricted to deacons. It's not restricted to apostles. It's not restricted to elders. Pastors. The work is available for any believer whether the work is under a title or not. And, And I think that's what you see here. Stephen's living out his faith. Certainly he has a title. He's one who's so convinced of the grace found in Jesus Christ, he cannot hold it back. He's a man of faith. Now, notice where he's at. He's in this synagogue. This is verse 9. There were some who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, that is, Jewish slaves that had been granted freedom. And they're from many surrounding lands. There's Cyrene, there's Alexandra, there's Asia, there's Cilicia, or however you want to pronounce that word. Uh, they would not have been a synagogue that was primarily conducting their times of worship in Hebrew, probably in Greek. Some have even surmised that maybe the, uh, maybe Saul of Tarsus uh, attended here. And if we look down in verse 13 and 14 of our text, we get a glimpse of what comprised the debate between these in the temple and Stephen. Apparently Stephen was in the temple. Apparently he's speaking in the temple, ministry of the word. Whatever Stephen was saying, it had to do something with the gospel of Jesus Christ and its implications for the law and the temple. That is, Stephen is at the tip of the spear, if you will. Of advancing the gospel in the face of those who are uh, holding to a false religion and this brings us to the understanding of why uh, those who serve in church leadership as deacons or elders are called to be men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom Paul would tell Timothy that those that are in, in summary those who are leading the church must not only know how to teach sound doctrine but refute false doctrine and you see why right here Uh, This isn't a time that Stephen has to go prepare for some debate. He's being attacked for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's handling the attacks against the church. In many ways, you can see the fulfillment of Christ having told the disciples in Luke 21, verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And that's exactly what happens here. They rise up, they dispute Stephen, verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen isn't some super Christian. He's just a faithful Christian. And he's a, he's a Christian that is full of of the Spirit. He's a Christian that is full of faith. You see that in verse five of chapter six. I was struck as I thought about this passage in application for myself and application for our church. And, And that word full kind of grabbed me. He's full of faith. And I thought, what are we full of? Well, if we have the Spirit within us, no doubt. But it is it is difficult. And and I think that there's two primary difficulties in our in our culture, in our day, and our church, and our families, and I'm not speaking outside of us, I'm speaking for those that are here, that, that that make it hard to be this type of Christian. And and I think it's two things. I think we're we're full of something. We're oftentimes, I think, full of busyness and distraction, noise. Uh, you know, you, we we live in a in a world that says go 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 go, and and you're missing out if you don't go faster. Uh, we're, we're we're in a world that if you don't have the news in less than two minutes after it breaks, you're behind the times. And I don't think this is healthy. You know, the, the, the idle mind is the devil's playground, as the quote goes. But you, I think we have to say that the busy and distracted mind is, is the devil's victory dance. Because there's just no room for us to spend time thinking about the word. Uh, let's not fool ourselves. We we fall asleep saying, oh, yeah, man. Got to read the word today. Let's let's get in five minutes on my iPhone as I'm sitting here. I timed myself yesterday out of the fun of it. I thought, how fast does it take me in the morning to to get into my web browser on my phone? Took me less than three seconds, and I wasn't going fast. It's five clicks and a swipe to the right and a press. We have technology is a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, but we are so inundated by by so much information. It's a wonderful thing, but it can be a distraction from our faith. And we've we've got to ask ourselves some questions as Christians in 2019 about how we are going to handle the busyness of our culture, the distraction and noise of our culture, if we also want to be those like Stephen, fully committed to the Word of God. My wife asked me this week, how do you think Christ would have used technology? My brilliant answer was, I don't know. My next best guess was probably not the way we use it. I don't know. But it's a tool. And oftentimes it's not a tool in our lives. It, it's actually our court jester. Our private means of entertainment whenever we want it and however we want it. And I'm not, I'm not against entertainment or amusement. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not sure we have the time in our lives as 2019 Christians to be like Stephen here. I mean, you have intentional Christianity here. This guy is all in. And I'm not saying never check your email, never respond to somebody on Facebook. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying there's a, there's gotta be some serious questions asked as to how we're going to use it as a tool to proclaim Christ and not just have it as our means of escape. Let's go to Luke chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles there with me. In thinking about Stephen, this passage came to mind. I think it's an excellent cross-reference. It's the command of Christ. It's not a suggestion as to what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Luke chapter 14, look with me at verse 25. Follow along as I read. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, so, we just need to pause here. Christ, you got a great crowd. How, how much more do you want? The congregation's full. There's every seat is filled. That's not. That's not what he was looking for. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, that's a, that's a challenge. But it's more than a challenge, it's a command. So how are we doing from in obedience to that command? Well, if you're like me, it's not as well as we want to do, but take heart. The same spirit that lives in you, lived in Christ, lived in Stephen. You have all the grace needed. Change can be made starting now. That's the wonder of what it means to be a Christian, is you can stop the things that aren't where they should be and begin what we should be doing. By His grace and for His glory. And so maybe that, whatever that looks like for your particular life, but Let's begin to make those changes. The man of faith, verses 8 through 10, the face of faith, 11 through 15. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Those who hate God don't play fair. Justice is determined not by God in their eyes, but only upon that which will advance their sinful desires. Now it would be easy to, to look at this, these verses and say, come on now. You know, give a man a fair shake. That's not the point. They're not interested in giving Stephen a fair shake because they're not interested in what Stephen has to give them. The gospel of Jesus Christ. False witnesses are, are condemned in Scripture, certainly. And yet it's also recognized in Scripture as that which is going to happen to the godly. If you're those who follow Christ, you will have someone bear false witness against you. It's wrong, but it's going to happen. We have the condemnation of this in Exodus chapter twenty, verse sixteen. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Proverbs fourteen five A false a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. Proverbs twenty four twenty eight. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. And yet it's recognized as that which is going to happen to the godly. Psalm twenty seven twelve. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I'm not going to get into the the depths of this debate between Stephen and these men. But what I want you to notice as we begin to close here is that the answer to their lies comes not from Stephen, but from God. Take a look. Verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen's going to go on and give his answer, but it begins with this answer from God. Now what do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you will, or if you'd like, turn over in your Bible to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34 is the example or the uh, testimony of probably the most famous example that we have in scripture of a shining face. Of this glowing face. Exodus chapter 34, you'll find this in verse 29. Moses, you will remember, is is up on Mount Sinai and he's receiving from the Lord the law, these tablets. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Verse 33, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, we're not looking for glowy faces. That's not what the point is here, right? Having a face that glows in the dark is not what we're after. The point being is that it's God's acceptance of Moses as his messenger, as seen in the reflection of the glory of God upon his face. This is what makes these, I believe, uh, those false teachers in this synagogue so upset, is they see God's acceptance of the message and messenger of Stephen as seen upon this man's face. What does the face of an angel look like? Why, I don't know. I've never seen one. Do all fa- angels' face look alike? I, I don't know. The point being communicated here is that this is a face that is celestial, it is otherworldly, it is before the face of God. My family and I have been thinking about the Latin phrase Corum Deo, before the face of God. This is what it means to live as a Christian, to live before the face of God. We've been reading through the Proverbs together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How does one obtain the fear of the Lord? By understanding the sovereignty and omnipresence of God in all places at all times. In your heart, in your mind. And living before the face of God. Living with the realization that God sees and knows all. And so even though you're not with your parents, children. Though no one else may see you what you're looking at on the screen or what you're thinking about in your mind. You can save yourself from so much sin, young people, if you'll begin to live before the face of God, realizing that God does see and know. We're called to live before the face of God. And as Stephen did here, it's what gave him the courage to stand for Christ boldly. Go with me in your Bibles to one more place. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll read this in closing. But the question that lies before us is, how are we to prepare for persecution? And I would submit to you, it's two things. One, it is the call to live before the face of God, to live intentional Christianity, to know the gospel of Jesus Christ for your own soul and not just for The proclamation of it to others. But we have 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter knowing full well what it means to suffer for Christ's sake. Gives us these wonderful words starting in verse 10 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good. And that should be God's will than for doing evil. That's a great verse. A set of verses that calls us to how to be prepared for persecution. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that is in you. Uh, this, this, this is the, this is how, P, this is how Stephen prepared. Right? He, he lived with his heart honoring Christ. And we are to do the same thing as well. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to the prayer. I have to ask you this morning, are you righteous? And the answer is no, but have you been given the righteousness of Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Young people, do you know Christ? And the only way you can know Christ is if first Christ knows you. You know, without the righteousness of Christ, we are only but what we are, which is sinners. Sinners that are under the wrath of God Sinners that are to be punished for our sin. And yet the free gift of salvation Jesus Christ has offered to us. It's, it's not an easy life to follow Christ. You get eternal life and the promise of life, but you also get the promise of persecution. But if something's not worth dying for, is it really worth living for? And if you're only going to live your life for yourself now, there's only death at the end of it. You're made for something more. You're made for the glory of God, and the only way that you can live out the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and before the, and before the face of God is by repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Christ to save you from all your sins, to give you eternal life, and it's it, it's the glory of knowing that then life begins, life starts. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You can go before the throne of God in prayer and and find and find audience there. You can go before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and know that He cares for you. You have an advocate before the Father. That if you decide to stand for Christ, whether it's on the athletic field or in the classroom or in the workplace, and you get you get shamed for that you get persecuted for that, you get belittled for that, you answer not to them and to their approval. You've found the approval with God through Christ and there's nothing better. This, this life that we live for Christ is going to bring persecution and it's only in Christ where we find the, the grace and the strength to live for Him. If you don't know Christ and you're trying to live the Christian life without Him and you find someone who, who hates for what you're standing for, Though you don't know Christ, you're not going to have the ability to stand before persecution. You need Christ to enable you to do that. And when you have Him, not only can you stand, you can stand with great strength and with great confidence. You can stand without fear. You can stand knowing that the eyes of the Lord are upon you and His ears are open to their prayer. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to to have looked in your word this morning, to have pondered for just a few moments here the life of Stephen, uh, the the testimony he bears of one committed to Jesus Christ, uh, the testimony of one moved uh, with great passion and confidence to proclaim Jesus Christ in the face of opposition, Uh, The testimony of one who faithfully served others. And Father, we are so grateful that the ability and testimony of Stephen is not because of his education, uh, it's not because of his birthright, uh, it's not because of his background, it's because he's been saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And for us in Christ this morning, What a hope and joy it is to know that the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Stephen and the testimony of the advancement of the church through him dwells in us as well. And Father, we pray that you would use us. We want to be more full of faith. We want to be more committed to our faith. We need wisdom to know how to, to handle the distractions. To handle the busyness of our lives and keep those things in right priority, in order that Jesus Christ, the glory of the gospel, the church, other saints, might bear their their proper priority. Father, we pr- I pray for for all of us here this morning that this coming week, that our busyness, that the the, the technology of our world, the the distractions around us would not encroach upon daily committed time with you this week that we would not be ruled and run by our by our schedules but by you our god Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to have looked in your word and now the opportunity to spend time at the table with one another. Oh, Father, what a joy it is to know that not only have been we we've been reconciled to you, our God, but you have provided in and through Christ the ability to be reconciled with one another. Uh, that, that the family that sits around us this morning is of a, is a, is a greater connection than, than blood relative. That as we would pause and taste of the cup and of the bread, it reminds us of the death of Christ for us, obtaining our forgiveness at the cross until Christ returns. Father, we would need that reminder in, in many, many ways and as often as possible. It's the grace that you've provided for us to handle the guilt of our sin this week. that when the enemy tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all our sin. We pray that you bless our time at the table this morning. In the precious name of Christ we pray, amen.